All right, uh, I say we just kind of start this <laughs> thing, and that way we can get all the real laughs in. Yeah, let's do it. Oh, we're already recording. Oh, are we? Yeah. No. Oh, okay, he's well. He's always recording. <laughs> all right, well, uh, if we're recording, then I'll go ahead and just start. This is the very first pilot episode of the ElToro.com podcast. The alpha version, I think, is what we'd call it. The alpha version of the pilot episode. Uh, my name is Kramer Caswell. I'm sitting here with, uh, you want to introduce yourself over there? You can call me Oz. Oz Austin Oz. Whiteley. We were having a debate earlier about, do we pronounce it Whiteley or Whitley? But apparently it's pronounced Whiteley. I mean, you can be wrong if you want to. Yeah, that is true. But before we jump into the start of the podcast, I want to give a huge shout out to the Doo-Wop Shop. And Doo-Wop Shop really hooked us up with some amazing gear for this podcast. Doo-Wop Shop is Louisville's premier music and audio company. They've been serving the Louisville area since 1971. So if you want to stop by the Doo-Wop Shop, they are off Eastern Parkway and Bargetown Road. You can learn more at doowop.com. So we got the infamous, the one and only David Stadler, founder of eltoro.com with us today. You guys might uh, better know me as my uh, DJ personality, DJ Prison Shiv. Um, <laughs> I've got a pretty prolific uh, following on yeah. the interwebs, as it were. Very cool. Yeah, they used to call me DJ Crame in college. Um, Nobody called him that. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody at all. Is I had mom, like, mom, can you call me DJ Crime? I yep. think that sounds pretty cool. And I, I think wrote it, my friends heard it. I wrote it on a piece of paper. My mom put it on the refrigerator. It was, uh, it was a neat thing. It was a neat thing. It's pretty sick. So, David, why don't you... Uh, I don't like calling you David because everybody here at El Toro just calls you Stadler. Everybody. And my wife even calls me Stadler. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> you know, a lot of people have a problem with that. But, you know, it's, it's how she was introduced to me. And, yeah. uh you know, it's just my name. It kind yeah, of evolved into my personal brand. You're just Stadler. I'm not going to sit here on this podcast and say David. That just doesn't seem right. So this is fly. Stadler. Yeah, it's, it sounds better. I like Stadler. Professionally, the DJ name is what? DJ Prison Shiv. But your friends call you Stadler. What's, yeah. What's your son going to call you? Um, DJ I mean, Prison? Yeah, he's oh. probably going to call me Shiv, P. Shiv. <laughs> Um, it's whatever. We like to keep it gangster at the house. It's, yeah. It's, it's nice. Um, it keeps everybody aggressive and, you know. Sweet. Yeah. It's one pretty, way to run the house, yeah. Pretty classy joint. So we, uh, we're El Toro, so we got a, we got a thing of bourbon sitting here. Yeah, um, so, you know, we're going to have a, we're probably going to be sipping on a little bit of juice every time we get on the microphones here, and today, uh, Kramer has selected the bottle for us, and Kramer's a unique, uh, unique individual here at El Toro, because he was one of the few that was actually hired on before he was of age to consume alcohol, Yeah, he had to, you know, go ahead and tell the story, I mean, it was... Well, yeah, it was funny, during my interview, um... I was Sean Stafford, who's another one of the co-founders here at El Toro, was was telling me kind of the job description of the interns because I was a uh, coming on as an intern, and he mentioned yeah, and a lot of times we have uh, our interns pick up some bourbon. We stack our our bourbon shelf every every so often, and I was like, ooh, that might be a problem. And he's like, why is that? I was like, uh, well, I'm only 20, so. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to be able to run for probably another seven, <laughs> eight months. We'd never even considered hiring yeah. somebody that was under 21, and Kramer just slipped through the cracks. Just slipped through the crack. <laughs> and then, so, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> later on, a few months later, once I was 21, they, uh, I think it was Maurice Zakir told me, you guys had to draft up a, a little uh, document for me to sign it. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was just common. It was a common thing, but 
Yeah, Apparently we've done not. this before. Yeah, definitely <laughs> done it before. Yeah, act like you've been there before, y'all. So I couldn't, I couldn't touch the bourbon bar, the infamous El Toro bourbon bar, until I was twenty-one. Yeah. So now, now it's awesome. It's perfect. Yeah, it's there, a, grab a bottle. It's a nice little setup. I mean, we got about uh, probably 450, 500 different bottles of bourbon up on the wall, up on the top floor. Yeah. Um, no big deal. You know, any kind of hobby that you pursue, you might as well start overdoing it. Um, <laughs> if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. So yeah. What's it. the so what's the story of that? Because you know, a lot of people come and they like. There's a ton of hype around the El Toro Bourbon Bar, yeah. and everybody loves it. And it's been voted best private bourbon collection in in Louisville, and I've heard that it's the largest private collection in the state. Am I right? I th- I've heard the same thing getting tossed around, but you got so many people yeah. here that have been hoarding bourbon since like the seventies and eighties and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I I don't in a public forum, I don't know if I'd you know put my stamp of approval next to that, but we got a pretty sick bourbon bar. Yeah. Um, I think there's there's no debate with respect to that. And um, I mean, that being said, today um, we're going to start sipping on some uh, 1792 small batch of the Barton Distillery. Yeah, we had to uh, break this thing out because uh, prices are going to be going up here soon. On oh, yeah. Because you had that big uh, collapse of the distillery over there. Yeah, and then you got all the people kind of like us uh, just kind of floating around trying to scoop up... Uh, Trying to scoop up extra barrels oh, and yeah. hide them in the back of their forerunners. So, so what's so? Let's uh, what what's the story behind the the bourbon bar? What what was it that, that, <laughs> that just you know one when, day you guys were like we just spilled a huge bourbon bar? Well, we were we were, we were actually in the uh, office over at Bowman Field and we wanted to have a little bit of um. We wanted to have a little bit of liquor on hand in the office just because we were spending so much time um, hanging around each other and, you know, going late into the evening and whatnot. And sometimes you want a little cocktail. Um, but Dan, Sean, and I, we just kind of, we realized that there was a lot of hype building around bourbon at the time. And my father actually got us into um, collecting spirits of a sort. I mean, he's got a far more impressive, I think, in terms of quality um, at his house than we actually do here at the office, uh, not to downplay the selection that we've been able to procure, but um, we just started buying, and that was back in the day when you can get all the Pappy Van Winkles on the shelf and things like that, and uh, we bought a a massive portion of what today would be considered to be exceedingly rare bourbon, um, and we were just drinking it. Um, (laughs) And I mean, that's what it's there for, and what's funny is like, we think about it kind of like art, um, you know, and you, as you move farther away from the consumption of it, you know, it only gets better in your mind's eye as time distances itself from that, yeah. from that first sip. And then once it's gone, it's gone. So nobody, you know, 70 years from now, unless somebody comes across like a barn find or a safe find or something like that, they're never going to taste the stuff that we remember vividly from, you know, back in 2012, 2013. Yeah. And I think that's kind of cool. I it, think it's yeah. sexy. Um, so, all right, well, know. cheers. Let's, cheers. uh, let's, let's, let's try this thing a little. All Ooh, right. Yeah. I got to get everybody eye contact, guys. Eye <laughs> contact. That's a European superstition. <sighs> now we're drinking it neat, uh, because we don't like to bastardize our juice here. Yeah. Um, I'm not, um, you know, if you, if you put a flavor wheel in front of me, I might be able to identify a little bit of what I'm tasting. Yeah. Um, there's a pretty pronounced, um, presence of oak. Uh, that I'm tasting here, I I, I kind of taste syrupy, like I think it's there's a little bit of vanilla in there, a little bit of yeah, syrup I was flavor. Say, 
I got a lot of hate on the test podcast we did because I said I struggled tasting the difference. But I, I actually do. I, I've had 1792 before, and that one is my favorite. Yeah. In my opinion. I need to go on the website and change it because I have Maker's Mark. Yeah. But I, I like 1792 a lot. Dude, I was over at a buddy's house on Saturday, and he had the 1792 foolproof. Yeah. That was money. I really enjoyed that. And like you said, go out and buy it right now. I mean, I'm, I, 1792 doesn't sponsor us yet. Yet. <laughs> we could have them as the next sponsor. You guys are great. We like your juice. So um, Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Shout out to 1792. They did not pay for this spot and they did not provide us any free liquor so that we are doing a, this on our that own that is accord. just an organic plug right there gosh that's so sweet no advertising earned earned media so <laughs> we are kind of talking this, this will be the first publicly released podcast um <clears throat> and austin and i were talking about on the test podcast which we'll probably never release but it, it is it exists uh, it's on SoundCloud. <laughs> it's on SoundCloud. <laughs> Part deep, yeah. deep dig. But we're talking about how this we want this podcast to kind of serve as uh, another content piece to what we're doing here at El Toro. Um, you know, we have an extremely unique technology and some extremely unique and smart people that I think can speak on a lot of different issues and a lot of different problems uh, that are happening in the industry today. I think that's pretty accurate. I mean, you know, just give you a little bit of a, a peek behind the kimono, if yeah. you will. Uh, let you know what kind of makes us tick and, you know, kind of where, where where our heads are at. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Austin had a unique thing that he was talking about. How, you know, there's a lot of things that our clients may not know, um, but we have people here that definitely know that. And something we don't know, there's somebody here who can speak on it. Yeah. So. Pretty much the main goal is to gather as many people who are smarter than us in the room with us. Yeah. Yeah. That's the goal. Hire people that are smarter than you. Um, <laughs> you did a good job, Stella. <laughs> job. I'm about as smart as a doorknob, but, uh, you know, make it till you make it. <laughs> hey, doorknobs work, don't they? <laughs> they do work indeed. So we had uh, some funny stuff. We were looking at Ad Exchanger earlier and uh, came across some headlines that I think would be kind of funny here to talk about yeah so what we're what we want to do is, is part of this podcast going forward is we just want to talk about some current events that are occurring in you know digital advertising at large so uh, we just kind of pick a, a couple of articles we give ourselves very minimal time um, to read over them beforehand and we just kind of want to give a, a stream of consciousness you know take on what we're seeing here so why don't you read the first tagline for us there so the first headline is pr firms start pitching programmatic <laughs> okay <laughs> so we'll read down pr is evolving said alexander romeo wilson definitely definitely name that <laughs> sounds like he works in pr uh data and analytics now is a big part of it too so pr firms are starting to see a value of programmatic about Time. Yeah, that's that's the exact <laughs> thing that came to my mind when I when I read this tagline. I was like, "What the heck took so long? Is this does this even qualify as news?" But <laughs> I have no idea. But you know, I kind of like the take that um, Allison uh, looks like Weisbrot, uh was the one that wrote this article, and it and it totally makes sense that this would be going down. I mean, 
you figure these folks are really trying to put a, a positive representation forward of a lot of different organizations. They're trying to be, you know, this public face. Um, you know, they're going out there. I, I, the first thing that kind of comes to my mind when I think about like PR firms mm -hmm. is you know, BP oil spill that happened in the Gulf back in the day. You like South Park did a parody of it. it poor, poor birds. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was just the the, the parody of uh, the CEO of BP on television. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's like you've got all these manatees dying in the background. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it was the first thing that came to mind. Yeah. So. And they're like, oh, let's just change the brand. People will forget. <laughs> let's just add some more green, change the BP on it. We're good. Yeah, we're Gold. good. Nothing ever happened. We didn't. You guys like cheap happened. gas? Yeah, those hundreds or millions of gallons of <laughs> oil. Just play some Jedi mind. Nothing happened. Yeah. We're all friends here. No oil was spilled here. Yeah, that's just super interesting to me that. And so, why do you think now? Why do you think that PR firms are finally starting to see a value in, in programmatic? Because. You know, I think of the, you know, you have GDPR happening, you have Facebook's whole debacle going on. I mean, do you think that that plays into any of this? I think it most definitely does. But I mean, it's another tool that these folks can utilize to get inside or get right around our noticeable difference. I mean, if you want to, you know, engage the population, if you want to make somebody aware that a brand exists in the world, you can't just be on television. You can't just be on radio. You've got to be, you know, contacting folks through every channel that you can reasonably afford to contact them through. And with digital, it's just one of those things that it doesn't cost a lot of money to achieve yeah. and, and to target people through this. And it's a, it's a very, I, I, I've always thought, a very complimentary vehicle to expose a message to someone. Um, so it makes total sense. Um, they're getting into programmatic. So it's about freaking time. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you'd have a, a good segue here because now Spotify is – that's the other headline here. Spotify hopes programmatic will dramatically expand their margins. So I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I've seen Spotify come up on some of our distribution channels in the past. I, I, I personally have kind of remo removed it from my chan channels here of late just because I, I don't see a lot of really quality engagement coming out of that. I mean, yeah. what are you going to click on while you're sitting there listening to some music while you're trying to bang away some work? But, you know, that doesn't that doesn't kind of... So I, I, I kind of question for our advertisers whether or not I want to do that. But um, it makes total sense that they would kind of, you know, absorb that process with a user base like yeah. they have. Well, it's interesting because... I use Spotify, but I'm a premium subscriber, so I don't even. So ooh, I don't, ooh, being, must be nice being yeah, a rich, big dough, rich, yeah. rich. <laughs> nine ninety nine a month, man. It's, it's worth it. Yeah, but I let me borrow tree feeding. Yeah, so I don't. I don't even hear. I don't even hear the ads, or huh. I don't even see them. So I, uh, you know, it's interesting to me because I, I just. Why not pay for Spotify? I don't understand why you would not pay for it, but I guess... Little known fact about Dave Stadler. Um, he was beta tester for Spotify back in, 2000, back in 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. That's um, cool. What was that like? I mean, I just found out about it, and I emailed these folks, and I'm like, I heard about your software. I want to be a part of this. I want to play this. Mu I want to play music all day in the office. So Cause isn't hook Spotify, it up. Isn't Spotify, a, they're over in Europe, right? I think so. I want to say it's Luxembourgish. I was that or like Sweden or something. Hey, whatever, man. Well, here I got my ladder. Let's look it up. It's all the same to me. Spotify. It ain't America. 
Well, uh, it ain't America. That is true. <laughs> well, they said they had trouble with some GDPR and, and revenue, so yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, they had like a slight tick back in Swedish. revenue when that stuff Spotify came out. Spotify technology. Darn it. It would be Swedish, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it would be. Those, Those Swedes. Swedes. They got Ikea. They got... Yeah, Swedish fish, Spotify. But I think it's pretty interesting because I think this is kind of, you know, seeing them kind of develop their own self-service platform, you kind of see a shift occurring here at large. Maybe we are. Maybe we're on the, the front side of a wave, but you see it represent a shift in control to the publisher of the content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to kind of going out to some, you know, middle entity that has to distribute it to the masses out there and put another hand or you know, lace another palm in the mix. So Yeah. I like what they're doing. It's a great it's a great way for them to kind of start controlling a little bit more of how this is 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 working for them. But I mean, just look at the numbers here. I mean, in 2017, their programmatic ad revenue increased by 94%. Um, you know, they're looking at total revenue growth uh, year over year of over 26% to $1.46 billion in 2017. That's a good clip of cash. Um, and they've even seen active user bases increase by 30%. So, wow. I mean, it's, it's probably pretty ripe uh, for a lot of advertisers. And their audio content is, I think it's pretty I, sick. I, yes, I love Spotify. Yeah. And I think the user experience of Spotify is really nice, too. Because my, my sister has uh, Apple Music, and I... I hate Apple Music. <laughs> like, I don't even want to go back to Apple hey, Music. Hey, Tim Cook. Um, Kramer does not necessarily represent <laughs> Tim Cook, uh, man, we got... the views of El Toro. Um, <laughs> we have a lot of Macs. We love I'm, you, buddy. I'm rogue, man. I'm rogue. <laughs> well, and, well, I mean, everything else I got's Apple. I still got an iPhone. I still got a Mac. I'm, I'm Tim, I'm good. We're good, bro. You just We're dogged good. Apple. No, cut off. Well, and what's interesting is you said that their revenues increase, and then you hear you have Facebook. For the first time ever, missing their their revenue targets. One hundred and twenty million dollar revenue. Isn't miss. that isn't that wild? Hey, man, when you're banking thirteen billion dollars a quarter, dude, one hundred and twenty, um, ain't really gonna. <laughs> it's not really gonna hurt you all that yeah, much. I mean, if you got all that cash to sit back on, you can weather the storm for a little bit. But it's kind of disconcerting. But it's it's about freaking time. It's yeah, it's really weird. Um, because what was it I saw on Bloomberg the other day? I mean, GDPR is just messing with everybody yeah i mean not us because we're here in the u.s but anybody that's outside so face what was the bloomberg headline austin it was the they had been sued for what oh five uh, billion no yeah google google and yeah. like 10 billion something crazy something ridiculous i mean it's like a parking ticket to them but still but yeah. the fine it's is interesting all, usually a fine is the lesser of the two with yeah gdpr it's the maximum of the two yeah so it's just like either like five percent of revenue or ten ten billion or something. You hate to see it. If you, if I owed somebody ten billion dollars, they'd just haul me away to jail, man. I, I don't know where that money's coming from. But, I'm going to Fiji. You'll never see me again. But I'm I mean, going. over the past few years, I mean, especially you know when when Facebook's IPO dropped, um, you know there was a lot of news going out there with respect to how many fake accounts they had. Yeah. And I had a real problem with, or not not a problem per se, but I was kind of you know I, I was vexed to an extent. Um, just due to the fact that, you know, they go into this knowing that there is, you're paying for fake impressions, yeah. you're paying for fake likes, you're paying for all this stuff, and people are just, okay. Well, and, yeah, that's so weird to me. It bugs, it bugs the hell out of me that people have no expectations for where they're spending their money. Well, it's just like, you, you know, if you're smart, and we talk to a lot of people that are smart enough to know that they're serving fake traffic, and they just... They just have that in their budget. They're like, yeah, we're probably going to get some fake traffic, but I, I have that 
I have that built out. We're the, good. The CTR looked fantastic. Like, what? And it's just, it's weird. How do you know whether it worked? Well, I mean, we got... We got like a 30% click-through rate on a banner ad. Man, you telling me 30 out of 100 people are going to click on your banner ad? <laughs> that is not true. Yeah, but nobody, nobody's going to click that. Hey, but when you wrap everything up in a nice, neat little box, it's but the demographic they want. But it's we're their target Facebook. Market. We are Facebook. It's clean. <laughs> oh, very cool. But, I mean, even their, their CFO was even kind of setting expectations mm -hmm. here that they expect high single-digit um, decreases in growth rates here over the next year. And, I mean, I, can't, I think it's just kind of indicative of a lot of folks getting fed up. Yeah. Um, you know, not having expectations for a lot of their digital spend for so long. Oh, I mean, you know, I got 10% higher CTR than I did last month. Everything must be going hunky-dory, and I have no <laughs> idea how much money I made off of it. So, um, you know, and that's kind of why we developed El Toro in the yeah. first place. Yeah, um, speak to that because, you know, you were there. You, I mean, you were a founder. So, yeah. what what was the what was the idea of uh, the original idea of El Toro? Man, we were watching Mad Men, and we said we need to start advertising so we can drink at work. <laughs> and no, um, really, if you look at the history, Dan, Sean, and myself, we um, we were all in the credit card fraud space back in the day. You know, mm -hmm. trying to prevent credit card fraud from transpiring um, on merchant accounts for small to medium sized businesses and. You know, if you look at it back in the day, that's it's kind of not a business you can be right on part of the time. You got to be right all the time because somebody's ability to pay their mortgage um, is dependent upon your stuff being right. And um, you know, that's kind of a, a principle that we kind of carried forward over the course of the next few years. And, and we we branched out in a couple of different directions over the over the following years. But if you look, and we were fortunate enough to be a part of a few really cool exits along the way. Um, but you know, we kind of we kind of started looking at where we were spending our money um, controlling these tech firms. Yeah. And what was interesting is we we didn't really eat our own dog food a lot. We didn't we didn't serve a lot of online advertising. We didn't devote a lot of our budgets to that. And and we kind of stepped back and we asked ourselves why. And it's because we didn't have any any real traceability as to the effects of that traffic. You know, I can see a click, I can see, you know, traffic moving over to my website, and that's well and good. You know, I spent some money on this click. You know, I spent some money for this impression that ended up turning into a click, and it came to my website, and that's great. But I don't know whether or not they bought, and I have no true insight other than, you know, what some analytics engine tells me. But I don't have any empirical evidence as to who that individual is and what that individual did. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really why we developed El Toro. And, you know, if you kind of take a step back and you look at traffic at large, I mean, we, we analyze, we directly analyze about 94% of the available inventory in the United States every single day. Um, when, and we're plugged into the front side of most major exchanges out there. And when you look at it, um, you know, we were back in 2013, we were looking at like high 20 billions in terms of impressions Jeez. day over day. Um, and that's the display marketplace, that's US. And then, you know, nowadays you fast forward five years. And now we're seeing like somewhere around 80 billion, 80 billion plus. So where did that traffic come from? Yeah, that. <laughs> um, you know, the United States population didn't expand like that. Like 
250 million internet users. Yeah, I mean, so. so if you look at it and you look at like the statistics that the IAB puts out and that Google puts out and they say, well, you know, the average user is going to see about 60 ad impressions a day. Um, if you look at, I mean, we're only look, and we're not even looking at vice and porn traffic. Yeah, um, that's just that's just regular. Yeah, that's just exchanges. regular old yeah. exchange traffic. And you know, if you look at those broad numbers, you know, two hundred and thirty some odd million, two hundred and fifty million people with access to the internet, sixty display ads a day. I mean, you're really looking at like sixteen, seventeen billion of those ad impressions that have the capacity to represent real human eyeballs. And it's ridiculous that people are going into you know the expenditure of a dollar with an expectation to waste 75% of that dollar. And so we kind of saw a bit of an opening in the market through a lot of experience that we had had along the way. And whereas we had previously spent a lot of our budgets in the direct mail space, you know, I can, I can if I spend $100,000 here, I can, I can definitively state after this campaign is done, you know, I made $120,000 yeah. or $200,000. So it's like, that's something I'm going to put my name next to because it's, it's, and there were two characteristics that we keyed on. Um, it was traceable and it was transparent. So, yeah. you know, I know who I'm sending mail to before I send mail and I know who bought after they, after they give me money. So if I've got those two pieces, you know, I can attribute that success to those marketing dollars spent. So how do we move that process online? And, and, and in a more simple sense, how do we identify a user with certainty based upon a data point that can't easily be obfuscated online? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's when we kind of keyed in on, um, that's when we keyed in on IP. That's when we kind of realized that, well, there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a stick here that we can, kind of work toward and we'd been amassing all of this first party data. Yeah. And so we, we were able to figure out, okay, well this physical mailing address within over a ninety five percent confidence interval represents this or is represented by this IP address. So it's like I get this information as I'm looking at the exchanges out there. So great, you know, somebody tells me I want to target one two three Main Street and not one two five and not one two one um, we're able to sit there and we're able to wait until that IP shows up online and we're able to maintain a bit of omnipresence in that user's bubble. Mm -hmm. So it's about, it's about being able to follow them wherever they go online. I'm not hamstrung to, you know, a network, you know, you advertise on Facebook, you're only advertising on Facebook. You know, you, you go to Google, you're advertising on Google Suite. Yep. You're advertising on Google Network of Sites. You're advertising on their exchange and only, you know, we, we, we go through a totally different mechanism where we can... We're exchange agnostic. Yeah. Um, so I can follow people around, you know, and it's about it's about sending somebody over the edge. It's about, you know, hovering around that noticeable difference and impressing upon them enough through enough multiple channels to to inspire a conversion action. Yeah. And that's really what we wanted to do. We wanted to bring that transparency. We wanted to bring that traceability into the online space where quite honestly nobody had any expectations yeah and obviously it's working yeah i mean <laughs> dude i can, I, can I mean last year we got the select is 13th fastest growing company in north america yeah so it's it's working deloitte yeah, yeah man that's 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 big i mean those huge. are yeah thanks deloitte appreciate that thanks deloitte <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, that but, was not paid for by Deloitte, but if they want to sponsor, <laughs> yeah, you Look can sponsor. Sponsors. Sponsors. Yeah, number one, free. Um, sponsored by Altoro.com. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, and, and that's super cool, and it's it. And I bet it's just awesome to you to see how it's evolved from just that initial technology of IP targeting to now where we're using geo framing technology to to grab device. It's just it's really interesting to watch. Yeah, I mean, I'm it's, sure for you, especially, it's incredible. I mean, I, I'm, you know, we were a mix of the right people, you know, meeting each other at the right time. Oh yeah, and you know, three people that were, in, in willing to embrace like an inordinate amount of risk. Yeah, and I think that's really what it. Well, know, and like a lot of people don't talk about. I mean, you truly were going up against the giants like google and facebook and i mean that's still the case yeah well i mean you know we're still only scratching at their market share but uh, you know it comes to the thing it's just i don't like what's going on right now in digital advertising at large i think that they are a massive machine that is running away with people's money in an unaccounted fashion and I'm sitting here, we're sitting here, and we've got the capacity to say, I, I can spend your marketing dollars and I can prove it works. I can, I can use sales as the main metric to prove that this operation works. Yeah. You know, I don't have to sit back and say, you know, like we said earlier, I got you 10% higher CTR <laughs> than you did last month. Everything must have been working just fine. Cool. Here's 5,000 more dollars. Yeah. No, Jeez. man, because people, people expect more out of that. I mean, we... we it is what it is, um, but we need to have we need to have folks actually starting to have expectations for what yeah. they get out of digital advertising. I mean, you see, these people are charging garbage money for the traffic because they've got this unrealistic bucket of crap <laughs> that exists in the background, and they're like, oh, "I'll just throw some more crap at them, and they'll be happy because I can make it click." Well, yeah, and that's the thing I would say. It's just shocking to me that people build fraudulent traffic into their into their digital marketing budgets like well, i know i know i'm gonna be losing this money yeah but it's like what? and you and you look at it's these giants shocking. out there you know you look at the giants that control a lot of the digital ad space out there and, and i think what's what's most interesting and honestly most damning for the industry mm-hmm. is that it, it seems to me that a lot of these giants don't have a vested interest in cleaning up the channels they do yeah have, yeah they, that that is weird you know, they have the opportunity to do that. I mean, they're smart enough to do that. Oh yeah. But why do you why do you think they don't? Well, I think that you know once it gets to the point where you've got a lot of shareholders that have invested in your organization and they have an expectation for quarterly earnings, you can't exactly go back to your shareholders and say, "Hey, y'all." Um, so that money we made last quarter, that was awesome. Yeah, we made like $10 billion. That was sweet. But but I got a conscience and, man, yeah. I was wasting some money. Yeah, and yeah. it sucks so bad, but three quarters of that stuff was not human Yeah. per, you know, broad math. So what we're going to do is we're not going to sell that fake stuff yep. anymore. So, Shareholders ax you, boom. Yeah, out. dude, get the hell out of that yeah. seat, man. And And that's kind of... The benefit to being an organization that, you know, we bootstrapped it with our savings accounts. And we had, you know, we had, uh, you know, <laughs> really one group that was an outside investment in our early days uh, to help us get mm-hmm. off the ground. Um, but that's kind of the difference. I yeah. Mean, if you don't have to answer to some sort of financial overlord, 
um, you can kind of do what's right or yeah. you know, do what's right in your mind. Uh, mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm not saying, I think I'm right. <laughs> well, you heard it here first, folks. David Stadler, IP targeting, switch your budgets. <laughs> switch your budgets. <laughs> switch your budgets. Come to eltoro.com. <laughs> and I mean, we're, we're trying to stay, you know, just in terms of, you know, what this podcast is doing and yeah. whatnot. We, we don't want this to be like a constant shameless plug. Uh, we want this to be, you know, a decent resource yeah, for folks that work in the in industry. Yeah. I want it to be, you know, that's the thing about this. I mean, we're all we're sitting here trying to figure this stuff out. I mean, I've never done a podcast. I don't think you've done one. So no, man. I, I just want it to be a place where I've just got know, that silky smooth oh, baritone radio voice. Radio mm. face. David Stadler coming at you live. Yeah, I just want it to be a place where we can bring on people and talk about stuff going on in the news and the industry and. You know, maybe we talk about artificial intelligence and yeah, just weird stuff. Man. But most importantly, spend your spend your advertising money at eltoro.com. But most importantly, El spend your money at eltoro.com. <laughs> the only true one-to-one IP targeting platform on the internet. There you go. Patented, proven, effective. Right here in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, how long have we been talking? Because, man, that... Well, 35 minutes. 35 minutes, man. I feel pretty. I feel pretty good. Pretty good about that too. I mean, I haven't even finished a, a whole glass of bourbon. Yet. I hadn't either. I haven't it's either. Too busy talking. Too busy talking. It meant that that honestly didn't even feel like it was that long. It was, it did I pretty mean, good. I I like to listen to myself talk. I, I do too. Yeah, a lot. I'm just like that's oh, why Stadler. I came to you. I was like, man, I just I, need to hear myself talk I've more. I've been Stadler. mesmerized over here. So <laughs> we need a podcast. Yeah. Um, well, cool. I don't know. Do we want to kind of wrap this thing up and? Yeah, I would yeah. say so. Trying to go for 30 minutes, 35, 40, yeah. That's what it is. All right, well, cool. Uh, Let's see. We're going to be back. We're going to try and do this podcast thing every Friday. Um, Bring on different guests, talk talk about different topics, uh, check out what's going on in the news. So, um, yeah, so we'll see you back here next Friday. I'm actually about to catch a flight, so I won't even be here next Friday. Wow. So, I don't remember signing off on that time off request. <laughs> Man, that's Austin, it. did I've, you I've sign off a, on I've that? I've had a lot Axe, of people. Axe coming. Executioner. Yeah, Woo! seriously. Um, I didn't even put that in the ADP. We just got that, so. Yeah, you. Um, that's an HR violation. I got to go talk to HR. Hey, what's up, ADP? <laughs> you might need a sponsor. Yeah. Uh, we're not, but we could be sponsored by a D. <laughs> we gotta wrap this up. I gotta go t- talk to HR, make sure my request <laughs> is in. All right, we will see you back here next Friday on the ElToro.com podcast. Thanks, folks. Appreciate your time.